Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. And I'm going to go right to the phones and bring up Mr. Ensley from Tight Lion Outdoors. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. What a beautiful day. And the warm water species are finally getting into that summer peak. And I'm reading my notes, and you says you want to talk about the many options for successful angling that's going on right now. And I, I love that because, first of all, when you're getting into this time of the year, especially for the warm water species and even some of the trout at different bodies of water, uh, you can almost find a place that you can fish whatever your strength is, however you like the fish, you probably can be successful, but there's also, it's the most wonderful time to learn new techniques and gain confidence, isn't it? Absolutely. It, June is my favorite month of the year. Everything is, is working right now. Trout are, are biting, bass are biting, everything's, uh, walleye are on their summer peak bite right now. So you can catch fish, any species you'd like to go after, and with multiple techniques, so it's a lot of fun. So what are some of those techniques that you would like that you like to use or that you'd like to share with people? Sure. So for trout fishing, South Park has been absolutely on fire. We've been doing trips, trips up there since uh, it opened, opening day. You know, we're catching fish anywhere from 20 to 30 fish a trip. And uh, there are three basic techniques that are working quite well. Uh, obviously, fly rods, uh, uh, a little uh, different approach on the fly rod, though. We're fishing midges quite deep, and we put a split shot on, get it down to depth. And that depth will range from anywhere from 24 feet over 27 feet of water to 12 or 13 feet down and 14 feet of water. And that's been our pattern, and we weight it with a split shot to get the midge down and use a float uh, indicator. So, so, so just so people understand, when you talk about fishing in 20 feet, you're, you're, you have a 20-foot leader or and tip it below an indicator that's acting like a, to suspend that, that, that midge that's down close to the bottom or where you think the fish are suspended at. That's correct. Traditionally, your leader is somewhere in the 6 to 12-foot uh, length, and uh, when they're deep like that, you've got to extend it. And, uh, and put the float uh, about 24 feet up on the leader, so extended leader to do that. What about the conventional angler that wants to take advantage of that fishing? Well, in uh, the conventional bite, uh, same uh, Lake South Park area, it's Tasmanian Devil, and uh, I'll give you the hot colors, Y82 is the number on it. It's, uh, it's bright, bright color, orange and brown looking. It's a great uh, bait. You throw it out, cast it back. The, the grass is coming up now and starting to show up. Fish those grass edges with the Tasmanian Devil or white tube bait, and uh, they'll just hammer it with uh, spinning tackle, and the fight's on. Well, and uh, those little tubes, you know, people sometimes, well, sometimes people don't understand. They, you know, we talked about fishing midges on a fly rod just now, but you don't have to go to tiny, tiny tubes, do you? No, we're, we're using uh, bass size tubes, something that you might use at Pueblo for, for uh, spotted bass, largemouth, or smallmouth. These baits are three and a, three and a half inches to four inches long. So, um, a lot of trout right. fishermen have trouble getting their hands around that. But even like if you're fishing uh, crankbaits and plugs, people tend to, especially fishing the lakes that have big trout like Spinney and Eleven Mile, don't be afraid to use bigger baits. 
Yeah, absolutely. Aurora Reservoir has some excellent trout fishing in there, quite large. So two baits uh, can be an excellent, uh, as well as the Tasmanian Devil. I've used that out there. Some people troll cast masters, but try that Tasmanian Devil. It has an erratic action, and you can troll it or cast it and catch a lot of fish. And the two bait, it's just cast it out there, work it down points, jig it along, create some erratic action. What triggers them to strike that two bait uh, is the spiraling action on the fall. So as you work the bait and it falls, you'll feel the thump. They'll just hammer it. One of the tricks I used to do with the tube bait is I would take the internal jig head and not push it all the way to the end of the tube. It really accentuates that spiral action. That's the action you want. Trout love erratic action to the baits, and they will just smack it when they when they see it. What about some of the other uh, opportunities you're seeing? Maybe the warm water. What are you seeing around the front range? Sure. As we, as we move down uh, here on the front range, the walleye bite is as hot as it's going to get, and it will continue uh, on into early July before it begins to slow a little bit. We, you know, the traditional patterns that worked like last year and the year before, trolling bottom bouncers with either a crawler harness or a, a slow death hook, we put numbers of fish in some quality fish in the boat. But this year it's been tougher that technique i think the fish have uh, seen it too much and we've had to use some other uh, older techniques to to catch the fish they're still there they're still biting and you will catch some on say a slow death and a bottom bouncer early in the morning and some of those are nice fish but the numbers are down so to catch the numbers when you start marking these fish and they're holding in shallow water you know 10 to 15 feet of water on road beds, points, breaks that drop off from shallow water to deep water. And you'll see them on your electronics. They're there. And uh, switch over and try a uh, Lindy rig, uh, slow it down, drag it along the bottom, or slow troll it or drift with the wind, and just a hook and a night crawler. It's more of a finesse presentation. If you want to get even more finesseful, use a split shot as the wind is blowing you or you're slow trolling. Slow your speeds. Bottom bouncers are a faster speed. Uh, you know, 0.9 to to one mile an hour. You, you've got to get down in that 0.5 range or even slower to get them to take the bait right now. Well, and my the, favorite, go ahead. That I'm killing them on, is once I find them, set up and throw finesse jigs on a light tackle, light line, and I mean four pound test. Uh, and they are killing the jig right now. You and they keep your fish. You kind of took the words right out of my mouth. That a lot of times. On Cherry Creek and Chatfield, because the fish are pressured, they don't always set up exactly where you would think they are. So I would use a bottom bouncer or a slow death type rig or a spinner just to cover water, watching my electronics, looking for fish. And especially if I got a few bites, I'd know there'd be some active fish. That's when I would set up on those ponds and throw a a little jig and just uh, work that little pod of fish, and it can be extremely successful. Half a night crawler or a leech, and uh, I'm talking, you know, 16th, uh, 36, nothing more than 316 South Jig Chartreuse is always the hot color. Uh, the ones I'm using right now, kind of a uh, tandem color, green on the top, and chartreuse on the bottom, and it, that, that allows them to pick it out. But once they see it, you'll feel the little tick, or it just feels heavy. Reel down, set the hook. Don't wait on them. Seems like as you wait on them, used to wait when you pick up a jig and let them get it good. Now, if you do, they spit it. So just reel down as soon as you feel the bite and set the hook, and they got it. You talked Have about fun. you talked about the chartreuse color. Uh, chartreuse and orange are colors that walleye see really well. And a lot of times, if I'm fishing these pressured lakes for bass 
or something else, I'll sometimes stay away from the bright colors if the fish seem to be spooked or pressured. But walleye seem to really react to those brighter colors, don't they? It, they certainly do. And you see it from a distance, uh, that, hence the name walleye. They have great vision in low light, but uh, that brighter color gets their attention. They come over and they see a piece of nightcrawler. Keep your nightcrawlers fresh. If it's dead, rip it off, put a fresh one on. If it's got a wiggle to it, they'll hit it. Are you seeing any other species up and down the front range that you've been able to? I know you go after the bass quite a bit. What's going on there? Bass fishing's on fire. Full-blown spawn mode. They're on the banks. Uh, that will begin to end uh, near the end of this month. Some of them have already finished spawning. They started late May. Um, and, but June is hot. There, You can see the beds. You can see the fish uh, if you like to fish for them as they're up shallow. Um, the smallmouth are on the rocks. Use a single four-inch green pumpkin. Uh, there's some photos uh, on my uh, Facebook page. You can take a look at some of these smallmouth. They're just monsters. So the, the bass is going strong just about everywhere right now, but they are in the spawn mode, both smallmouth and largemouth. And once they start, and some lakes they are coming out of that spawn mode already, and I find that topwaters can be really effective because they're still usually kind of gathered up shallow. Do you do that quite a bit? Yes. So uh, as soon as the spawn's over, you've got the fry uh, swimming around once they hatch. They hatch within a week to 10 days, um, and uh, that's going to be later this month. You'll see those fry, and you'll see them on the surface. When you see that, pick up a buzz bait or a topwater bait. could be a... a Tas- not Tasmanian good one, <laughs> that's a trout lure. Um, any kind of uh, walk the dog action bait, like a zero spook, um, they will blow up on it because they're triggering uh, on the uh, fry that have come out, both perch, bluegill, all of those uh, panfish and uh, crappie spawn, and they turn around and start feeding on them as soon as they come off beds. Most people don't realize that bass do not feed when they're on the bed. They're defensive, and you can throw a bait around them, and they'll hit it. It's really not eating. They're just hitting it out of anger and trying to move it away from their bed. But by the end of June and early July, they're attacking the, the spawn of the gear. So be ready for that. And buzz bait's my favorite technique for that. Are you seeing any panfish, crappies, bluegills? Cra- uh, bluegill, crappie, all, all are spawning at the same time that uh, the bass spawn. So, yes, they're on the banks, too. Um, the, the crappie are a little harder to target just simply because once they spread out for the spawn, they, they bury in shallow grass and a little harder to get to with a little uh, crappie tube bait. But that will turn on in uh, ju- late July and all of August. They will go all the way through the fall. They'll stack up on deep structure, and you can just kill the crappie. Bluegill will stay shallow, and you can pick them up on the bank. So if you uh, wanted to take your father fishing for Father's Day tomorrow, somebody's listening, give me a couple places that would be good. And if not tomorrow, this next week, the weather's supposed to be great. Where, where are your two or three places you definitely would go? Well, this walleye bite is at its peak, so I'd probably put that number one and bass right behind it just simply because they're so easy to access from the bank as well as a boat. Just stay shallow. Uh, on on the bass, stay shallow, one foot, uh, no more than six feet deep. They're there right now. Uh, with the walleye, that's 10 to 15 feet. Um, nightcrawler bite is your best bite, and, and we just talked about all the different options as far as the techniques. And probably but, uh, Cher- Cherry Creek and Chatfield both for the walleyes? Y- yes, those lakes. I'm sorry, Cherry Creek and Chatfield are the primary lakes. If you want numbers, go to Chatfield. 
just over by the marina, the Plum Creek roadbed is loaded with walleye on both ends of it. And uh, if you want to catch uh, legal-sized fish, I would select Cherry Creek. You'll catch fewer fish, but you have a shot at bringing home two to five or six uh, walleye 18 inches or larger. All right, my friend. And if people want to book trips with you to learn more about these techniques, tell them how they get a hold of you. Sure. It's Tightline Outdoors. That's our website and also our Facebook page. And you can give us a call at 720-775-7770. All right. Thank you so much. Have fun out there. It's it's the time to be on the water, isn't it? It is. June's excellent. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Matt Ensley from Tightline Outdoors. Before we go to break, I want to talk about a couple things here. By the way, coming up next, we're gonna we're hoping to hear from Pat Dorsey from the Blue Quill Angler, legendary guide. We're gonna talk some fly fishing. We have another fly fishing segment at the end of the hour. So fly anglers, hang on because the conditions have been changing, the runoff. We're finally seeing the water levels uh, coming down, and it's gonna affect where and how you fish. So we'll be we'll be talking about that. But we talked about you just heard Matt mention a slow death rig. Uh, really popular rig on the with the professional walleye anglers it's caught on but not as much with maybe the weekend anglers if you want to know what a slow death rig is i wrote an article about it for the denver post a while back i just recently within the last week uh, republished that on my facebook page terry wickstrom outdoors on facebook so if you go to that page and scroll down a couple posts there is um there's an interview with professional walleye trail angler uh, dan swanson and then an article accompanying it that talks about the slow death rig, how you fish it. And it, it's, uh, it's one that, I, I'll tell you the truth, I resisted it for a long time. I was more of a traditionalist, but it works. It puts fish in the boat. So you may want to go to my Facebook page and read that. While you're there, if you want to go chase some of these panfish, if you scroll down a ways, you'll see a little video that I did at a local pond catching bluegills. A little technique where you use just a bobber and a little bit of a line and a hook, and you can catch bluegills one right after another. And just recently, we posted a picture of the new state record bluegill in Colorado. So all that's on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at Facebook. We're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. We're going to be joined by a legendary uh, guide and angler, Pat Dorsey, on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. I want to go right to the phones because I want to spend as much time with this gentleman as I can. He's one of the most, I think, more accomplished fly fishermen that I've ever known. He's legendary as a guide here in Colorado and an author uh, from the Blue Quill Angler, Pat Dorsey. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, sir. How are you? You know, I'm doing great, and I do have one complaint, though. For all the years we've known each other, we've never fished together. I know. That's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, we'll have to correct that one of these days. Yes, sir. But anyway, uh, I do really respect your knowledge of the area. In fact, you've written several books. You've, what's your most recent book, Pat? Just did a, a revised edition of a fly fishing guide to the South Platte River. So uh, I'm excited about that. That was my first book that I wrote, and then I had the opportunity to revise it. And as everybody knows, quite a bit has changed over the past two decades, you know, when I wrote that book initially. So before we're going to move on to conditions, because I want to find it, because we know they're changing rapidly now. But 
um, on that book, what do you think, as it relates to that South Platte River, what do you think was the biggest change that you noted between the two books? You know, it was it was a complete facelift. You know, we we gosh, we did all new photos and we did all new maps and and just revised so much data. It's almost like it's a whole new project. So I don't know that there's anything that really stands alone. It just being a completely revised book and with all the updates and of course you know after the Heyman fire and and there's just so much to talk about and I just wanted to get it current. And the river, it's, it's, you know, for as popular as that river is, and I know it's one very near and dear to your heart, you fish it a lot, it really has held up, and it just is a tremendous fishery, isn't it? It is. You know, I think if I had one day left to live, I'd fish the South Platte. It's just a great river, and I think as far as western rivers are concerned, it certainly is a great, great fishery. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because you're out there on the water, you're watching the conditions um normally by this time the runoff would be ending and it's kind of in some places just starting what are you seeing out there it's crazy you're right on you know typically by father's day is when we tend to see you know especially on our freestone streams runoff peaking and starting to drop and in so many cases in some sections that you know we're just getting underway you know for instance the inflows to spending now are upwards of 630 cfs so all that water is going to eventually come down through the South Platte Corridor combined with Terriall Creek, which is flowing dang near 400 CFS. I, you know, inflows here shortly are going to be close to 1,000 CFS going into the reservoir. So um, it's just starting, you know, here on the front range, but it's going to be big soon. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think we dodged a little bit of a bullet that it was – we did get some melting during those unseasonably cool weather we had – and I think that's going to mitigate it a little bit, but there's a lot of water to come down, isn't there? Oh, my gosh, yeah, there's a lot, you know. And um, thank goodness for our tail races. We're going to be able to, you know, keep on fishing through these um, higher flow regimens. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's going to be a great year. And I think, you know, we can all appreciate what we went through last year with the drought that I think we'd much rather have more than not enough. Oh, you're absolutely right. So if you were heading out, whether it's a guide trip or just fishing or somebody wants to know, um, through those waters of the South Platte, where would you go now, and how do you expect it to change over the next two, three weeks? You know, there's a few windows here on some tail races still left. You know, I mean, Spinney's, Spinney's up around 550. It's still fishable, um, and, and certainly, you know, it's time to, to bring out the big bites. You know, 11-mile canyon is is 200 CFS and rising, so still very fishable there. Um, you know, the Williams Fork sneaking in on 500. Um, that's pretty high, but still fishable. Um, and then of course the Deckers and Cheeseman section, you know, they're really got low water down there, about 155 CFS. So there's still plenty of options, but those windows are going to close pretty darn fast. So what do you think is the biggest mistake when this water starts coming up, even though it's still fishable, but it's flowing pretty good. What are some of the mistakes that typical angler makes? You know, I think a lot of people just shy away from high water. I think they, they think that you can't fish during the high water season. So, But that's, that's, that's not true. I mean, I've fished um, the Gunnison, for instance, you know, you know, 2,700, 2,500. It's off-colored, and you can, you know, go in there and fish with chamois leeches and pink worms and red worms, San Juan worms, you know, aquatic worm imitations. And, and some, you know, just big, bright flies. 
um, flashy nymphs and beat heads and, and stuff like that. And as long as you're targeting the edges, you still have a chance to fool a few trout. So uh, don't give up on the high water. You know, you just got to kind of adapt and change your tactics and your techniques. You know, one thing that you said during that, what you were answering there, that really jumped out at me was the edges. People, um, they they come stomping up to the edge before they even evaluate. And during that those flows, a lot of those fish are going to be right at the bank, aren't they? Right at the bank. For instance, right now, the um, the North Fork of the South Platte's running off-colored and it's flowing, you know, mid-650-ish. Um, but we're still doing guide trips out there, and, and we're catching fish, but, man, they're pinned in right on the edge there. And I think the biggest mistake people make is they walk on those fish. You know, you got to fish those edges and then work your way out. There's not a lot of fishable areas right now, so you just got to target the edges and then those soft water margins. You know, and some of my advice I give, and you may differ in this, of course, it depends on your wading skill and your ability to read the rivers. But when the water's flowing hard and you can't see the bottom, a lot of times I tell people, just leave your waders at home. Because like you said, the fish are near the bank. You, you get tempted to take that extra step that can get you in trouble. No, I would agree with you 100% on that. You know, it just um, a lot of times this time of year, we're, we're not even getting in, like you said, so. You can leave your waiters at home if you choose to do so. Yeah. Pat, before I let you go, I've been getting a lot of people asking me. that they're, I'm seeing a resurgence in new fly anglers, and uh, and people are asking me how to get started and what do they do. Do you have some advice for the people who are starting fly fishing, and maybe do you guys offer some classes or things? We do. We teach a, we teach a Fly Fishing 101 class every week, um, and it's just kind of an introduction to fly fishing. Everything from learning how to cast, to tie knots, equipment, setting up your rigs, and so on and so forth. Um, so we do that weekly. And then also, you know, one of our strongest pushes lately has been um, doing some still water stuff. And gosh, you know, with this year, with the high flows and the rivers blown out, it's a great time to um, start, you know, doing some still water stuff. So, you know, Joe Schaefer and Jerry Vigil are heading up our still water program, and they do a fantastic job. And they do guide trips on still water and, um, on the lake. So that's just something else that beginners ought to, you know, try to be well-rounded. I think that's very important. You know, that's a great point. And you and I have talked about this in the past that a lot of even accomplished fly anglers um, shy away from still water because obviously in a river, you know, the, the flow of the river positions, the fish, the conditions and the flow and the river helps you make your presentation. We're in still water you have to kind of understand where the fish might be unless there's a lot of rising going on. And then you have to probably give some life to that presentation and visualize it. You think it's just they, they just don't feel comfortable? Why do some anglers shy away from that? I think, you know, as a general rule, people are just kind of intimidated by lake fishing. But, you know, it's, it's, we have some of the best stillwater impoundments in western U.S. I mean, we have fantastic places like Antero and, and Spinney and, um, it's just fabulous. Um, and then we're doing our classes out at Wellington Lake, so that that's close to the front range and, and works out real well. When you're doing a class on still water, well, one of the things you can do is you find an open space and you can start to learn about handling your line with a fish on it without having to fight current and things. It really, I think, accelerates your confidence a little bit. Um, another thing too, you can do this from shore. One other point I make to people too is, you know, don't be afraid to go out to some of these local park ponds and cast a few flies for bluegills just to get used to handling a fish on your line. And it's fun. 
Oh, absolutely. Anything that's pulling on the other end is a good fish. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Pat, um, we're out of time, but if people want a guide trip or get the information from you guys, how do they get a hold of you? They can uh, just call the shop up in Evergreen, 303-674-4700, or you can visit us at uh, bluequillangler.com. And uh, if they're looking for your new book? You know, we have it available at the shop. We've got signed copies there, but um, just about everybody, I think, in Colorado and Front Range carries that book um, from the Orbis store in Park Meadows all the way to Evergreen, and I think everywhere in between. So I'm very, very thankful for all the support on that project. Well, you deserve it. If anybody knows that river, it's you and the years you've spent on it. And uh, uh, But we'll let you go. But th- I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it as well. All right, thank you. That's Pat Dorsey from the Blue Quill Angler. What a great resource. I mean, this man is legendary. Um, pay attention to what he talked about. Go back and listen to this podcast. You'll be surprised the little tips you pick up. Speaking of tips, we're going to take a quick time out. We'll give you a few shooting tips before we go back to fly fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. So you play an Eagles song while Corey is waiting. That's not even fair to her because you know I'm going to listen. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan, and we won't keep Corey waiting. We will go to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Clays is Corey Kraft. Good morning, Corey. Hi, Terry. It's Sorry about that, but I'm a big Eagles fan. You know, we got Oh, I know. Yep. <laughs> it's just the way the world works sometimes. Right. Hey, it beware. You know, uh, I'm glad you're calling today because I was talking about some of the different aspects of hunting. In fact, last week, we talked a little bit about it's not, you know, your draw. It's not too early to start scouting and things. One of my pet peeves, it's not pet peeve, but it's one of the things that I think really gets in the way of successful hunting is people pick up their rifle a couple weeks before the season, try to sight it in and fire a couple shots. You should be shooting that gun year round, making sure you understand it, that you're, you're comfortable with it, that you're confident in it, your scopes are set. And the best way to do that is right out of Colorado Clays in your rifle and pistol range because you really have a, a variety of ways to use the range, don't you? Yeah, we sure do. And I actually I can't believe it's, you know, um, halfway through June already, and you're exactly right. It is time now to start uh, working on your rifle and make sure everything is working properly. No, you're exactly right. And one of the advantages of shooting, well, tell people about Describe your pistol and rifle range first. Okay, so we have a 100-yard rifle range. And the, the range is really unique. It's a sh- covered shooting canopy, so it's covered on three sides. Um, but for, from the shooter's position downrange, it's open air and natural light. So you're protected from, from the wind and the rain, et cetera, um, but you don't have the artificial light um, you know, of, an, of an indoor range. So it's, it's actually a great, really great setup. And then you don't have to go, um, you guys put the targets out there, and you put a video camera right on the targets, is that yeah, right? Yeah, so it's great. So we have 50-yard targets and 100-yard targets. And on the 100-yard target, there's a video that, um, that is showing your target in your bay on a, your individual shooting stall on a monitor. So you don't have to go downrange. You can write on the screen, you know, track your, you know, your shots as you're um, sighting in and everything. It, it works out great. So you have a, there's no downtime going downrange to check your targets between shots. What about somebody like me who can't get it on paper to start with? What do we <laughs> well, do? that's why we have the best range safety officers around. <laughs> <laughs> I actually can shoot a little better than that. But um, 
No, and another thing about your rifle range, I want to talk about the pistol range too, but your rifle range is the fact that a lot of uh, ranges, you can't shoot from positions like prone or sticks. You can do all that, right? Oh, yeah, you sure can. You can shoot prone. There's really nice, sturdy benches in each in each shooting stall, individual shooting stall. And by the way, we have 10 uh, rifle stalls and 10 individual pistol stalls. But, yes, you can shoot prone. We also do allow uh, muzzle loaders, black powder, et cetera. Um, and actually, interestingly, we've had a lot of calls recently. The only uh, caliber of rifle that we don't allow is 50 caliber Browning machine guns, BMG. So, yeah, there's a big variety. Any other type of rifle is just fine to shoot in our range. Right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, even though it's a little warm, I also encourage people, put on a heavier coat once in a while when you're shooting. Find out how that gun fits. You don't have to wear it the whole time. But go shoot right now make sure your gun is working but then do it on a regular basis so when hunting season comes you're ready and you're confident you don't want to be thinking about that shot well that you're, you're that animal's just down range you're taking the shot as soon as you start second guessing your range and your your windage and all those things and and your trigger control you're going to miss I, oh, I, absolutely. you just will and so, not, we get a lot of regular customers around here, and of course, I meet a lot of people who, you know, plan hunts that not only cost them travel time, um, you know, a lot of savings, et cetera, and you absolutely cannot have a, a failure, um, you know, from a scope that's not adjusted properly or anything like that when you're dedicating a lot of time and money to, a, you know, a significant hunt or just even a local hunt. You know, there's nothing worse than, you know, missing what you're after because of, you know, not taking the proper time and preparation on your rifle. You know, and another thing, you mentioned your pistol range. You know, we talk about the sporting clays, the trap, the skeet all the time, which you're famous for, and you're just renowned for that. But your pistol range also, I always make a comment on the show that shooting is a perishable skill. And a lot of people will shoot handguns competitively. Some people just like to plink. But a good number get them for self-defense reasons, whether it's at home or with concealed carry. And it's so important to be comfortable with that handgun really for safety reasons, understanding the manual of arms, but you don't want to be in a stressful situation and not be confident and understand how to use your firearm. Oh, absolutely. You're exactly right. All these shotgun shooting as well, they're all perishable skills, and we've got people that come out and shoot trap regularly, um, and it's so great to see, you know, practice makes perfect, and I, a lot of times I'll get a little nosy and look at people's scorecards, and when they are regular shooters and they're practicing, they do increase their accuracy. Um, so, yeah, we do get a lot of people practicing down in the pistol range, and I'm glad you bring that up because we also, um, particularly for um, handgun shooting, offer, you know, concealed carry courses as well as um, pistol training. We have a basic class and then an intermediate class, and we have the greatest staff. We have the best um, instructors um, really provide good one-on-one -on -one information. And, you know, it's interesting that it's a growing sport, pistol shooting, and a lot of people coming out, you know, like what you said, for self-defense and just to become familiar or make sure they, you know, practice and feel comfortable with their firearms. Now, before I let you go, you do a lot of events. Are you booking up pretty quick? Oh, my gosh, crazy. Today we actually, I'm really excited, we're hosting the state trap, high school trap tournament. So there's an effort underway to make trap shooting, a, you know, an actual sport in high school. So we're hosting the state shoot for that today. So, it's, yes, it's a very busy day at Colorado Clays. And tomorrow is Father's Day, so I just want to do a quick plug. If you haven't, um, you know, secured a, a nice gift for your father yet, we do have gift certificates. And this afternoon um, we can process those over the phone and email them out to you. All right. Very good, Corey. How do they get a hold of you? 
Um, ColoradoClays.com is the best way. All right. Thank you. Enjoy okay. uh, enjoy this beautiful holiday. Oh, I know. It's gorgeous. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Corey. That's uh-huh. Corey Kraft. Just a great people out there. Love that place. Speaking of places I love, we're going to talk to somebody from one of those after this time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I'm going to go right to the phones. I want to spend as much time with this uh, gentleman as I can. I, I call. I want to call you a young man, Kirk, because you are so much younger than me, but you're starting to mature a little bit, I think. <laughs> I'm getting older. Yeah. Um, this is Kirk from Kirk's Fly Shop in Estes. And, Kirk, we're trying to keep up with the ever-changing conditions. There uh, uh Runoff normally is winding down by this time of the year, and I'm not sure it's even started yet. Right. It's hard to tell this year for sure. Um, what are you seeing up there? Um, Lake Estes, is it full yet? Are the rivers above it flowing hard? I drove by the Big Thompson coming in today, and down at the highway it wasn't flowing heavy. Yeah, it's, it's flowing pretty high up here out of the dam. It's about 500 CFS, so that's pretty high water. I think they're taken out a lot by the time it gets down to Loveland. Yeah, and that's probably what's happening. Is it fishable? Are you fishing the Big T? Yeah, it's still clear. It's fishing good. There's just uh, fewer spots to fish, but you get one of those good spots, there's a lot of fish in them. Yeah, concentrated pretty good. How are you right. How are you approaching those spots? Are you are the fish tight to the bank because of the flow, or are, you, or are those spots clear enough where you're getting them out in the seams? Yeah, the best areas are fishing where there's a big corner in the river um, and fish the inside corner. They're mostly tight to the bank, but some areas it, it, there's a pretty good area you can fish it along the along the shore. I imagine you got to be a little careful wading right now too. Yeah, there's no need to go out in there hardly. All the fish are close to the bank anyway, so you can pretty much stand on shore or maybe a foot in. But you no need to get in that fast water. I, I always tell people anyway. this time either, especially if you're not experienced, or certainly if you can't see the bottom, leave your waders at home because you'll be tempted to take that step to make a cast or land a fish, and you can get in trouble so quickly. That's right, yeah. It's almost easier to fish from shore right now. And it's comfortable. It's beautiful. out. What about above at Lake Estes in the park? Is it flowing heavy? Are you still fishing the park? Yeah, we're actually we're doing pretty good in the park. Some of those high mountain streams uh, fish a little better in high water. Uh, the smaller streams like Mills Creek or Glacier Creek fish is good at high, high flows. All right, and I imagine a lot of the lakes... The lower ones are open, but a lot of them are, aren't even open yet, right? Yeah, there's a lot of them that still have ice on it. Um, it seems like you're starting to get ice off around 10,000 feet now. A lot of snow up in the park yet if you get up there? There is. There's still a bunch on Trail Ridge Road when you drive over, but it's melting pretty quick. All right, so yeah, so it's going to be changing. I think the best thing to do if somebody's going to fish an area like the Big Thompson is to give guys like you a call and get because the, the conditions are going to change almost daily, aren't they? They are, yeah. The flow's flows can change like 100 cfs a day right now are you guys still uh are you still floating the colorado river we are yeah with that colorado has actually been uh, one of the lower flow areas over there by kremlin it's right around uh, 2500 right now and it could be all the way up to 6000 at this time of year so the dams are kind of holding back the water you think that'll change soon or you think you'll be able to float for quite a while i don't know about that one i i I think, well, yeah, even at high flows, we can float it. Um, we, just, we just float a lot faster. Yeah, you certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, the flip side of that is probably going to have good floats on the Colorado well late into the fall when those big browns are out. Right. We should have nice, cool water all year round. Don't have to worry about hot, hot water temperatures this year, for sure. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, one of the things I've been getting asked a lot, 
a lot of from people are getting started fly fishing. Um, how? What's your advice for people who just want to get started? Maybe they're really new. They've conventional fished, but they've never fly fished. How should they get started? Uh, just getting started fly fishing? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, just uh, keep it simple. Um, don't You don't need to cast too far. Um, short lines, um, one fly is a lot easier. Uh, indicator, and then one fly underneath. Um, just have some weight on that fly. Don't worry about split shot. Just get heavy flies, and that makes the fishing a lot simpler. Do you um, do classes or uh, for beginning fly fishing up at your shop? Yeah, we do. We do uh, classes where we'll do like two hours of training how to do knots and all that stuff, and then out on the water for two hours. Or all of our guided trips, you don't have to know anything. You just come out, and we'll supply all the waders, all the gear, and uh, get you out on the water and show you how to do it. And, you know, my suggestion to people is always to go a couple trips with a guide. You don't have to do it right away. Maybe if you've already got fly gear, go to a pond and learn just to try, see what it feels like to cast. Don't do too much because you get bad habits, but learn how to handle a line and stuff. And and then go with a guide because you're going to learn these little nuances that you read in the books and you see in the videos, but until you experience them, they're just different, aren't they? They are, yeah. The guide can help advance that process fast. Oh, extremely fast. I mean, I couldn't, um, you you guys around here made me so I can even fly fish, so that's pretty good. But, uh, Kirk, if you're headed down to the Big T- Big Thompson right now, what kind of flies would you be using? Uh, right now we're using, uh, like, Prince Nymphs, Pat's Rubber Legs, and a lot of worm imitations. So a San Juan worm, pink San Juan worm, and a purple San Juan worm seem to be the two main colors. And that's kind of typical in high flows, isn't it? It is, yes. Because they're easy to see and find. You need something the fish can find. You might have a second fly underneath that's uh, different, but they have to be able to find it. By the way, how's the North Fork of the Big Thompson fishing? The North Fork flow has been hasn't really come up that much. It's right around 100 CFS, and it's been great. Um, during the flood, it was kind of wiped out, and it's really come back the last few years, and it's about as good as it's been in years right now. Well, you and I actually fished that once on a television show several years ago, and Karen just added that to our YouTube channel. And I think during this next week, she's going to put on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, a link to that. And I think that is probably appropriate again because that's a great little stream. It is, yeah. It's, it's about like it was then, right now. Yeah, so that will be perfect. So you can watch for that. Any last-minute advice for people headed out? If you're going to take a, a trip this next week with good weather, where would you go? Uh, I would go up here, Big Thompson. Um, it's clear coming out of the dam, a little muddy coming in, and I'd fish down downstream of the, the dam, and it's been fishing really good. And if people want to book a trip with you or just want information for that day, tell them how they find you. Uh, our website is kirksflyshop.com, and we also got a shop in Grand Lake now, and that's kirksflyshop at grandlake.com. And our phone number is 970-577-0790, and our main shop here in Estes is just across from uh, Bond Park. Right next to the Dairy Queen. Right next to the Dairy Queen. You got all, it. all right, my friend, as great as as always, great to talk to you. And uh, I got to get up. We got to get on the water again soon. Yeah, good talking to you, Terry. Yeah, we got to get fishing. We do. Good. Thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, see ya. Kirk's from Kirk's Fly Shop. We're out of time, but I want to thank uh, 
Kyle for keeping the things rolling, Karen for keeping the show online and making me look like I know something. But hopefully you learned something. Join us every Saturday morning. Follow us on Facebook. Karen, we'll probably post what time the director is going to be on. He's going to be on the show. The new director from Parks and Wildlife will post that on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Of course, we have our YouTube channel that has over 100 and some episodes on it um, from past legacy TV shows. And uh, we're always uh, just, but listen here. If you can't listen live, listen to the podcast. Join us every Saturday for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.